Armstrong and Getty. Why are you here today? We choose truth over facts. I don't understand what you're saying. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. All right, go, go. Spare us the theatrics. Behave yourself. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Here's some good news. This is, I hesitate to give you hope, because if you have no hope, you can't have your hope crushed. But here's a little hope for you. Risky playgrounds where kids can climb and maybe fall and maybe get banged up are making a comeback, bringing adventure back into play. This, this, oh my. Is it, is it because only all psychologists and people know anything about child development say that's a good idea? Only because it's universal? Right. That we realize it's necessary for our development. If you're new to the Armstrong and Getty show, we have been militant about this through the years. The veal calfization of our children, trying to turn them into helicoptered, pampered, no adventure, constantly supervised little veal calves. It's just terrible. Convincing them that the world is just this thing that is uh, a scary monster ready to hurt you at a moment's notice. Right, exactly. And we've become, we've gone from being the country that, and part of it is moms and dads, but certainly there are, are moms who, who are, are don't fit this cliche and, and dads and the rest of it, but Junior skins his knee. Often mom says, oh my gosh, are you okay? Are you okay? And looks at the wound, the rest of it. And dad says, he's fine. Look, brush yourself off, son. Go play. You'll be fine. And and both of those things are necessary to me for a, a healthy kid. But we've totally removed the brush yourself off. You'll be fine. Go play. We'll take care of that later. We've, we've, we've lost that. But anyway... Over the last few years, pushback against these overly sanitized, you can't possibly get hurt, you know, padded room playgrounds has grown considerably. I've got the most amazing one in my town, and I live in a town in America that could legitimately have the most uh, expensive and padded playground in America. I mean, it's that kind of town. Yes, it could be. Um, And it's just amazing, the the park in downtown that the taxpayers paid for. The the ground you walk on, there's no ground. It's all been replaced by this spongy stuff, so it's like walking in a... I don't know what it is, but... So you're like walking... So if you just fell down on your own, you wouldn't get hurt. Right. Like the world is that way. Right. Um, uh, And then every piece of equipment, everything is round. So there's nothing like even close to a corner or anything like that. Oh my god! Because you could walk into that and hurt yourself. And everything is slow moving and soft. No and running, just... no running, children. It's, and, and it's listen. almost like becoming a bubble boy, just stepping onto the playground. I tell you what, I should be happy when people come back to our way of thinking. I'm still mad that they ever went away from it. But putting that aside, I'm going to read you the sentence. Pushback against the overly sanitized playgrounds have grown considerably with new research supporting the importance of play and especially unstructured play for early childhood development. You really needed a researcher to tell you it's important to just let kids play, to create, to confront problems, to solve problems, to get knocked down and get up again. You really needed a researcher to tell you that about human beings? Okay, all right, I've said enough. The rules for what they're not allowed to do on the monkey bar structure at the school are just unbelievable. And listen, got to throw this in. Part of it's fear of liability. Yeah, so I was wondering how you get around that part. So we've decided, we all, we all agree with the researchers and common sense, 
that having uh, playgrounds where you could get hurt. Or are, let kids run and play tag and the rest of it. Yeah. They're, yeah. Um, but then Junior falls down. And listen, and this is the part that really gets me. Mom and dad are good, strong Americans. They know this stuff we're talking about as well as we do. And they say, no, nah, let's go. We'll go. We'll go get Jimmy's uh, broken arm fixed and, and, and he'll be fine. It happens to kids all the time. Yes. Um, but if Sam, if Sam breaks his ankle playing tag at school, I would expect, I would expect my health insurance to pay for that. He's yes. my oh. kid. Your health insurance company then sues the school. And you tell them, no, 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 don't do that. I'll pay for it out of pocket. And they say, that's not how it works. And the, the insurance companies now are suing school districts. I don't know how you fix this. I, I, mean, I don't either. And that's the part that really frustrates me. you got to change the laws or something. Yeah, I've told I, this story before. But very briefly, there's a couple of kids playing in my neighborhood. Um, and and well, kid A was at kid B's house. Kid A gets hurt. Uh, kid B's insh- parents' insurance company... I'm sorry, Kid A's family's insurance company sues Kid B's family in their insurance company, tears the neighborhood apart, when for the entirety of American history, Family A would have said, all right, no, 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 we'll go to the doctor. They're playing. They're having fun. I mean, it's not like mom and dad gave them guns to shoot or something like that as eight-year-olds. They pushed them off of something. <laughs> right, exactly. They weren't assaulted. They were just playing one kid got hurt. So that that is so insidious. Yeah, I'm not sure how to get hold of that. I know. Like uh, my son's school, as I've mentioned many times, if it, it rained the day before, they can't play out on the grass. So they all stay on the pavement and are bored because it might be slippery. I mean, it's just, what? That's crazy. Like um, the world is after it rains but so you're denying kids the ability to even learn the art of not falling on their heads (laughs) it's that stupid but if you get into the lawyer angle of it even me as hardcore as i am about this i'd have to say well we can't let them play because if three more kids get hurt we have to shut the school down oh man we can't afford it all right well here's you want to fight here's why you want to fight this you know how we do it and how long it's going to take i'm not entirely sure but here's why the findings of these completely unnecessary new studies but what the heck if they win the day that's helpful is that um you're you want to foster creativity independence problem solving risk taking getting the kids stronger, and the rest of it. The take-home message for municipalities is stop setting your bar at the level of the most anxious parent. If you do that, you're guaranteed to produce boring and dull playgrounds, said a a London-based researcher and advocate, who is my new hero, who recently authored a white paper. Oh, that's good, because you can read the print better on a white paper. (laughs) I guess, is that like uh, for uh, research? Is that what they call research papers? I don't know. uh, he published see, this. I, I wish I had any of my research papers throughout the years. Hmm. Hmm. If you set the level, if you set your bar at the level of the average parent, or maybe even at the level of the parents who do want some excitement and challenge in their kids' lives, then things start to look different. You're right. We and have, the kids build all those things you want them to build. We have been setting the bar at the level of the most scared parent. Right. A, f- a funny example of this is, so my son's school's playground, they don't have swings. I assume they don't have swings because they're too dangerous. All they have, chainsaws and shotguns. And the monkey bars that are and still there. tigers. <laughs> from decades ago, they're not allowed to do like normal, you can't get up on the monkey bars the way the monkey bars were designed for and everything like that. What are you allowed to do? Look at them and cry? <laughs> you can hang from them, but you can't crawl up on top of them. You know how in monkey yeah. bars, 
You know, or like, uh, what do you call that thing you go hand over hand? What is there's a name for that? I don't know, but everybody knows what you mean. Anyway, yeah. every school I ever went to, every kid, you, somebody's crawling up on top of those things. And blah, blow the whistle. That, that That's absolutely not allowed. Right. Um, but so anyway, on the weekends, like if my son's there with his friends, they were there a couple of weeks ago and they took a big mound of the wood chips that are supposed to make everything spongy so nobody gets hurt. Right. Lord knows you can't have the ground underneath you. Right. I grew up with pavement underneath me. Everybody right. lived. <laughs> but uh, you t- they take all the, the mounds of wood chips and make them into a ramp, and then they jump their bikes over the, the big ramp. Oh, horrors. <laughs> it's freaking awesome. And and all of us parents were like, ah! Because they're like, they barely had enough room to stop before they were going to hit the monkey bars. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. That's what you do as a kid. Ugh, boy, just turn your head. Just I did, don't I even know. watch. I even said to one of their moms, I said, you might want to watch this. Your orthodontist is going to ask how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> As funny on the playground as he is in the radio studio, everybody. Coast Jack Armstrong. But they're jumping their bikes over this ramp, and I thought the people who designed this super safe park were not yeah. were not wanting this to happen. Oh, that's beautiful, man! Let your kids. But that's be what kids. boys want to do. Free range kids. Boys of the of the age of nine and ten. These are all like ten year olds. They've had such a desire in their DNA to do something dangerous, to test the limits, to deal with fear. We're just built that way. It allows for warfare and all kinds of other things, which I realize is toxic and would go away if we're all women. But it's not going to. Right. Um, but we just we're built that way to do that sort of stuff. Right. You've been feeling it. You've been thinking it. Maybe you've been bullied into silence. Let your little boys be little boys. Let your little girls be little girls and stop listening to the veal calf farmers. Let kids be kids. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. China lying like rugs as they do about everything about the whole uh, coronavirus. Yeah. Donald Trump don't trust China. Well, he shouldn't. I got a couple of stories on that, and it reminded me. Well, first of all, on the whole coronavirus thing, my son got the regular old influenza there's a type a and a type b i didn't know any of this stuff before thursday by the way uh when my son got the flu and then we were at the er with 105 temperature and i started reading up on it and everything like that poor lad but there's a type a and a type b and he got the type a which is either h1n1 or h3n5 or something they haven't uh (laughs) they know it's type a they haven't figured out that other part um uh one's worse than the other but anyway well and there's there's not a lot they can do right so it's no I no, mean, you, you have it for a long stay time with too, though. Fluids and just try to nurse you through it. So your high fever will last five days. Likely. Oh, oh, five oh, that's days. Rough. That's so rough. Yeah, and no medicine. I mean, he was 105 on Thursday, and he was still 103 on Saturday night. Oh my goodness, um, poor lad. Yeah, it's, it's like amazing. Cool cloths or something like. Like a, I know there's nothing can bands. take it away, but oh, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, so the the regular old flu is horrible, and it kills thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Wherever you're listening, people in your town, your state are dying. By the dozens how many, of, of the regular old flu. How many children did you say have already died of the flu in the United States this year? As of Saturday morning, it was 54. Right. No, right. no. If 54 kids died of the coronavirus, I think we would we would we would cease to uh, to function as a nation. Well, there would be a national panic, and which the flu is just is... strange. And listen, I'm not in favor of ignoring the coronavirus because it's new it appears to be fairly deadly nobody's immune to it and and we don't know how insane it could be but the flu is here 
And two years ago, was it? It killed 61,000 Americans. 60,000 people Americans. Died. And you, did you, do you even know that? No, you didn't know that. That's the flu. I hear about it every year. But you're doing a half-hour news feature on the coronavirus that six people got in America and nobody's died? Wash your hands, man. It's just weird. And if you got it, do not go. Just stay home. Stay home. You are so contagious. Yeah. We kind of kept Sam quarantined in the house so that the rest of us don't get it because it's it's a bad one. He didn't eat anything for three days. He tried a couple of times and threw up nonstop. So, but just that's a bad thing to get is the flu. But so the coronavirus in China, and this is what it reminded me of because we talked about this some last week, is how it's it's it ain't no joke, Joe, as Joe Biden would say, not a joke. The idea of China taking over the world, or at least becoming the global superpower that most countries um, come into their sphere and um, and kowtow to is bad in all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. China is a bad country. They're an evil presence. China it's, is asshole. The Chinese in Communist short, Party yes. is evil, and the more of the world that they control, you know, the worse for humanity. Mm-hmm. This is like the old us versus the Soviet Union. This is a gl- global struggle for the future of mankind, whether we get to be free or not. See the coronavirus. China silenced doctors and focused on secrecy as the coronavirus first spread. One article I read in the New York Times about how their number one concern from the beginning was not uh, helping people, uh, curing people, anything like that. It was how do we get this information quieted down and keep it from getting out. Um, Specifically with, let me find this other story about it, how they threatened this doctor and got him to, um, to go along. As new coronavirus spread, China's old habits delayed the fight. At a critical turning points, Chinese authorities put secrecy on order ahead of openly confronting the growing crisis and risking public alarm or uh, political embarrassment. In the middle of the night, officials from the health authority in the central city of Wuhan summoned Dr. Li, demanding to know why he had shared information online that the coronavirus is out there. Three days later, the police compelled him to sign a statement that his warning constituted illegal behavior. Wow. Which, if you know anything about China, is really bad. Yeah. That's going to stop you from, uh, well, from living much of your life from, from here on, now that you've had that spanking by uh, the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. And so he attempted to get the word out just locally that we got this traveling around. The police show up at his house and make him sign a confession. Wow. Of, uh, of going against the nation. Wow. That is scary. That that's that's who they are. Yeah. God, we gotta wake up to that. That is an evil, evil country. Now come on, and, China. And you know, so far it looks like the coronavirus we're gonna be okay. But if 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 the great pandemic that's gonna wipe people out happens and starts in China, we're doomed. Well, that's the perfect place for it to start. We are doomed because yeah. they do not care. Yeah. Yeah. They do have the ability to shut down entire cities and not let anybody go anywhere. Quarantining a city is something we would not be very good about or good at in the United States. Thank God. God, If they're going to send the police to the home of a doctor um, over the coronavirus, the idea that they're not going to mishandle artificial intelligence or uh, any of this CRISPR genetic stuff or any of that stuff, give me a break. Well, it's a society founded on and, and absolutely everything you do is steeped in the idea of you must please the government. You must please your local government official or they will have you jailed or stabbed or run out of your home or whatever. And they're frequently... You know, grasping, greedy, amoral bureaucrats, but everybody is terrified of them. 
Like this doctor guy who who thought, you know, I'll tell the truth to help out my countrymen. Well, he he got punished good and hard for that, or, and, well, or will be. I would guess, based on all the reading I've done about China, the only reason we know that the police went and talked to the doctor and he signed this thing is because the Communist Party wanted us to know. They wanted that news out there to scare other doctors. Mm. If they had just wanted to punish him, he would have just disappeared and it would have made the news. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting point. They wanted to get information out to every other doctor in the country or anybody else in, in the media or anything else. Yeah. Hey, talking about this is not cool. Yeah. You want the police to show up at your house? Keep your mouth shut. And, and listen, this is not, uh, you know, this is not a, a frantic trying to scare you little bit of analysis, but socialism as a system depends on government control. You have to have everybody falling in line because if they're pursuing their self-interests in a free market way it just uh, socialism doesn't work because it's an artificial system you have to impose it and enforce it people will not uh, pursue it naturally and it really worries me the number of people who think bernie is the answer and bernie is the savior and and if we can only impose a top-down system of government everybody will have a utopia because you will find yourself uh, being told by many, many bureaucrats exactly how you want to live day to day. And it evolves. Nobody, nobody announces at the outset, uh, this is going to be oppressive. It just gets there. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. It's discouraging, folks. The more you look at uh, democracy or, you know, a republic, um, the the more you realize politics is really kind of dumb. You're just trying to frighten the herd one way or the other. Frighten them or, or tempt them. And, and you wish it was more than that because, I mean, you read, you know, the great philosophers or whatever, a really great speech, and you think, wow, this is this is about ideas and, and thinking and loving your country. And they're, no, it's mostly about frightening the herd. But <laughs> anyway, I'm a cynical man. Don't hang around me or it'll rub off on you. <laughs> I will tell you this, partly out of desire to, well, I don't know. Uh, we have both been saying a lot of this stuff for a long time. But for Fareed Zakaria, who's a commentator, a writer, a thinker, he's a host on CNN these days. He joined up on CNN. They wrote him a big check before CNN was entirely the humiliating piece of garbage that it is right now. He's like Jake Tapper. He got dragged over when it still had a little gravitas. But anyway... He wrote this, he actually delivered this online, his, um, his GPS with Fareed Zakaria show, but then it was printed as an editorial in the Washington Post, and the title is Bernie Sanders' Scandinavian Fantasy. And if you know Fareed, he is no right-winger, not at all. But I'm going to read you part of it, um, <clears throat> because it's excellent. Bernie Sanders says his proposals, quote, are not radical, pointing again and again to countries in Northern Europe like Denmark, Sweden, and Norway is examples of the kind of economic system he wants to bring to the United States. The image he conjures up is of a warm and fuzzy social democracy in which market economics are kept on a tight leash through regulation. The rich are heavily taxed and the social safety net is generous. That, however, is inaccurate and a highly misleading description of those northern European countries today. Wait a minute, you're saying to yourselves, I kind of assumed that Bernie was at least Kind of had something to point to. Well, let's go on. This seems like something I'd read in National Review, not in from Fareed Zakaria. Printed in the Washington Post, right? Take billionaires. Sanders has been clear on the topic. Billionaires should not exist. 
But Sweden and Norway both have more billionaires per capita than the United States. Sweden, almost twice as many. Not only Sweden that, has twice as many billionaires per capita as the United States. Correct. That's incredible. Not only that, these billionaires are able to pass on to their wealth to their children tax-free. Whoa. Inheritance taxes in Sweden and Norway are zero. In Denmark, 15%. The United States, by contrast, has the fourth highest estate tax in the industrialized world at 40%. Which I think is unconscionable. <clears throat> yeah, we're already way harder on billionaires than these social democracy European countries. Sanders' vision of Scandinavian countries, <clears throat> as with much of his ideology, seems to be stuck in the 1960s and 1970s a period when these countries were indeed pioneers in creating a social market economy. God, I wish this article was coming out in June with Bernie already the candidate. Well, I'm going to hammer it like once a day for the next six months, so we'll see if that does any good. Um, I'm st- afraid he's not going to get the candidacy. I'm afraid everybody's waking up to this. But anyway, back to your article. In the 60s and 70s, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in Sweden, government spending as a percentage of gross domestic product doubled from 1960 to 1980 going from approximately 30 to 60%. This is almost exactly what Bernie is suggesting. Some of his plans would gobble up the entire uh, American budget. We'd have to double it, so it'd be 50%, right? Listen to this from Sir Fareed Zakaria. As Swedish commentator Johan Norberg points out, this experiment in Sanders-style democratic socialism tanked the Swedish economy. Between 1970 and 1995, he notes, Sweden did not create a net single new job in the private sector. Not one in 25 years. That almost seems impossible. I know it. In 1991, a free market prime minister, Carl Bildt, initiated a series of reforms to kickstart the economy. By the mid-2000s, Sweden had cut the size of its government by a third and emerged from its long economic slump. Versions of this problem in these market forms took place all over Northern Europe, creating what is now called the flex security model. Uh, flexible labor markets with a strong and generous safety net. So they're probably farther along the government spending route than I would want them to be, but they're nowhere near what Bernie says they are. Moving along. <clears throat> in addition, uh, they stressed countries such as Denmark had to stay extremely open erecting no barriers to free trade to gain markets uh, abroad, keep their local companies competitive. Um, When looking across Northern Europe today, one finds many innovative market-friendly policies such as educational vouchers. Wow, wait a minute. School choice? Are you kidding me? Healthcare deductibles and co-pays and a light regulatory burden. None of these countries, he shouts so everybody hears it, has a minimum wage. Oh, really? What? Now, that's something. Of course not. How? how, I I don't understand. There's so much money washing around in these campaigns. You you got millions and millions of dollars. You don't have anybody on your staff that's dug up this information, and you can lay that on Bernie in a a debate? I think they think it's too complicated. To say they don't trust the voters. Sweden doesn't even have a minimum wage? Right. I'm sorry. I just didn't know. I agree with you, and I hope you're right. I, I fear you're not, but I hope you are. Listen to this, would you? This just keeps getting crazier and crazier. It's true these countries have a generous safety net, and in order to fund it, high taxes. 
What's not often pointed out, Zakaria writes, though, is that in order to raise enough revenue, these taxes fall disproportionately on the poor, middle, and upper middle class. Denmark has one of the highest top income tax rates in the uh, OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, 56%. But that rate is applied. Oh, my God. Listen to this, though. Here's how these countries make it work, and you decide if you want that. In your country, Mr. and Mrs. America, that rate is applied to anyone making 1.3 times the national income, the average national income. So listen to this. In the United States, that would mean any income above $65,000. You make would, seventy grand a year, you're paying 54%. 56. The, 56% right. to the federal government. For any Holy dollar above crap. that. That's right. As of $56,000 or $65,000. Any incentive to create more wealth or innovate or grow your family's finances are just, they're removed. The government takes almost two-thirds of it. In fact, the highest tax rate in the U.S., 43.7%, applies to income that is 9.3 times the national average, which means that only those with incomes over $500,000 pay this rate. The United States has one of the most progressive income tax systems in the world, particularly compared to these other countries. They also don't matter. They don't mention that in order to finance these great social programs, Bernie's always talking about. Everybody pays a sales tax. It's a value-added tax of about twenty-five percent, twenty-five freaking percent on everything in you buy. In addition to that other tax, right? Exactly. Wow. How do you have any money left at all? Listen to this. You hear about how the U.S. the the rich don't pay their fair share. We need to be more like the social democracies of Europe. You're gonna think I'm making this stuff up. I'm not. It's true. The top 10% in the United States pay 45% of all income taxes. Now, that number is actually a little old, and that number has gone up. But we'll just go with the 2008 figures from the OECD. Top 10% pays 45% of all income taxes. In Denmark, the top percent pays half that, 26%. It's a little more than half. And in Sweden, 27%. Among wealthy countries, the average is 32%. The basic point worth underlining, because the American left seems largely unaware of it and has only become more true over the last decade, the U.S. has a significantly more progressive tax code than Europe, and its top 10% pays a vastly greater share of the country's taxes than their European counterparts. Is anybody going to get this information to Trump so he can use it on the debate stage? Good Lord. In other words, bringing the economic system of Denmark, Sweden, and Norway to the United States would mean embracing more flexible labor markets, lighter regulations, and a deeper commitment to free trade. It would mean a more generous set of social benefits to be paid for by taxes on the middle class and poor. If Sanders embraced all that, it would be radical indeed. So not only is Bernie's socialist utopia unachievable, but the very examples he points to don't exist. Those countries aren't doing what he says they're doing. He's making this stuff up. How's Bloomberg not mention that on the stage? He's got to be aware of this. No clue. No clue. We will post that at armstrongandgetty.com. Send it to everyone you know. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, and it helps it, that it came from the Washington Post and Fareed Zakaria. It helps absolutely. a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. If it were Jonah Goldberg at National Review, it wouldn't. People would tend to roll their eyes yeah. and not read it. But, man, you got two lefty organizations going ahead and saying, hey, listen, this, this, this just doesn't exist. Now, if I was Bernie, I'd say, of course, the Washington Post, owned by 
the world's richest man. Corporate media billionaires. The richest man in the world wants to stop me from raising his taxes. Right. Right. Interesting stuff. Socialist utopias don't exist. They have never existed. They never will exist. It's tempting, but it's a unicorn. If you can successfully ride a unicorn to work tomorrow, you should vote for a socialist utopia. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. So who put together this list of the happiest states for me? Uh, it's one of the... the Zipia. Yeah, the survey sites. Thank you, Zipia. Um, if you're a long-time listener of the show, you know my thing on any list like this is to go straight to their criteria, because if the criteria are stupid, I'm not going to waste my time. And the criteria for these kind of things are often stupid. Yes, indeed. Um, the best num- place to raise kids, the one of the criteria that's 30% of the weighting might be... Uh, most government-sponsored health care or, or, or uh, you know, child care. Yeah, uh, a big one is recycling. Most recycling centers or right, something like that. That's the best that. place to raise a kid. Okay, well, yeah. then that don't count. I kind of like this list, though. Their stuff here is pretty good. How they determine the happiest states. Here are your five criteria. Uh, here is or here are. I don't care. Here be. Um, <laughs> depression rates. Okay, that's a pretty good one. The less depression, the happier the state. Thanks for spelling that out for me. <laughs> Just in um, case you're, you know, not sure which way it went. Household income, they have more is happier. Oh, uh, that's complicated. Yeah, I don't know if I dig that or not. Although I like the results, so, but. Unless it's uh, um, divided by cost of living, some sort of cost of living index. That's just silly. I should look into that because they must have because the results are kind of surprising. Just, uh, name a bunch of states will make jokes about well, it. Well, the results are kind of surprising to me. So. Oh, okay. Um, unemployment, less is happier. Commute yeah. length, shorter is happier. Hours worked, less is happier. Commute length's a funny one for. Uh, for 130 million people, I don't know. I saw the stats the other day. That's a non-existent thing. I di- I didn't grow up with commute length being anything you ever thought of or talked about. You wouldn't even ever. use the word commute. You just no. drive to work. It's no. right over there. No. Everybody <laughs> drove to work and their commute was the same. It wasn't far enough for your car to warm up or cool off, right. depending on the time of year. <laughs> um, That's how long your commute is. And you know where you parked? Right in front of wherever you're going, because there was okay. always a parking spot there. <laughs> uh, but that is still that way for many, many, many yeah. people. So I don't mind that standard at all, but it's notable to me that there's nothing about uh, you know proximity of family on average or anything like that. But here are your results. How about happy. recycling? Do they mention that? Because I can't be happy in a place without number, some good recycling. Number of escape rooms per capita. That'd be big on my, <laughs> on my yeah. list. Yeah, no kidding. The Midwest, how sure. About, how it is, of course, but how about number of A-holes? <laughs> you live in a place with a lot of A-holes, you're going to be less happy. What do you think of this as a saying? Because I've heard this from a guy for a long time, and he's a, a very uh, happy, balanced person. Ah, if you, if you run into more than one, I don't like that term. I found that I find that term really coarse. Is there another term that's as good? Oh, jerk. We could go with jerk. Yeah, sure. that's, it's not as descriptive, certainly. No, <laughs> no, probably for for the better. But anyway, yes. If you run into more than one jerk in a day, okay. the second one's probably you. I got to contemplate that for a minute. 
If you run into one more than one jerk in a day, the if you run into fun- a lot of jerks, it's probably you. You're the you're the problem. You're is the, is inducing the, is, their jerkiness, or it's just your attitude. Man. You're just yeah. Everything's everything's bothering you that day, or whatever. Okay. Um, one, you know, okay. you can run it. You can legitimately run into a jerk. Yeah. But you know, you hit two, and you don't usually hit two by nine o'clock in the morning. It's probably you, okay. which is, I find to be true. I gotta contemplate that for a while. Uh, anyway, happy estates. Accusing me of being a jerk. That's a pretty jerky thing to say. The Midwest sure is happy. Eight, eight of the ten happiest states are in the Midwest, based on the criteria I just listed to. Eight of the ten. Having lived all over the country, that does not ring false to me a bit. doesn't surprise me. Uh, here are your ten happiest states in order from ten to one. New Jersey is number ten. That's not the Midwest. Uh, no. Quickly moving up to... It's one of your yellingest states. I've lived there, too. Hey! Right, not just that. <laughs> Moving up the list. Get out of my way, a-hole! They, th- they drop that a lot. But the rest of the list is definitely, for the most part, in between the interstates. As we all know, outside of your two big interstates, I-5 on the West Coast and 90 on the East Coast? 95? 95. We yeah. lived there. It went right through Charlotte, North Carolina. That's right. But uh, to the right of that one and to the left of I-5, those people all voted for Hillary and everybody yeah. in between voted for Trump. Damn near. I, I mean, and yeah. the numbers are s- astonishing. Yep. Um, on how true that is. Really interesting. But anyway, uh, in between those two interstates, you got uh, number nine, Wyoming, number eight, Iowa, number seven, Minnesota, number six, uh, one of your Dakotas. It cut off. So it's either south or north. I'm guessing south. I'm guessing south just because it's so damn cold in the north. There aren't enough people in North Dakota to register. But, <laughs> uh, number five, people in South, I'm from South Dakota. In South Dakota, you think, how does anybody live up there? That's a common thing to think in South Dakota. Sure. God, you'd have to be crazy to live up there. Meanwhile, Canadians <laughs> go there for a winter vacation. <laughs> Show up in shorts and flip-flops. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And bathing uh, suits. Number five, outside the interstates, but a different lifestyle, Hawaii. Uh, number four, Nebraska. Number three, Wisconsin. Number two, Montana. Number one, Utah. Just that chunk of the country. Number one, Utah. Wow. Yeah. Got to be the influence of the uh, the LDS church. I know we're on all assault. the family time, simpler life, etc. I don't know if I've ever met an angry Mormon. No, no, I've been in. Uh, we have been... one listener, Tony, the caustic Mormon. Oh, that's true. That's close. We've been on in Salt Lake City for a long time, and uh, one of my best friends lives in Salt Lake City. But Utah is just fantastic. I think fantastic. Um, I spent an afternoon there once, and all I could think about is I got to come back here. This place is really cool. Um. I don't Beautiful, know if, too. Oh, absolutely. Scenery, please. But uh, I don't know what you do with this information. It seems like the fact that they're clustered so heavily in a certain part of the country based on that criteria is, uh, I don't know what that means. Also the same with the voting. I mean, the fact that the voting outside of the interstates was so starkly different than inside of those interstates. Mm-hmm. It's about population density, mostly, in my opinion. Having read something about this, you know, a fair amount through the years, people who are more crammed together need more rules, and they want more rules, and they want an an arbiter. They want the authorities to sort this out, whatever this is. And people in the center of the country, not quite as densely crammed together, think, no, we can handle this ourselves. If I have a dispute, we'll talk about it, we'll settle it. I'm not banging against somebody 30 times a day. That's the great urban-rural divide in this country, and, and, well, I don't want to get too far into this, but it is it is going to be a real political crisis, and they're dealing with it, we're dealing with it, and 
in various states, Washington, Oregon, California in particular, where you got the crammed together coastal cities that are so left. And then you got people living in vast, wide open spaces. If you've never been to eastern Washington, you don't know what vast, wide open spaces are. It's astonishing. And all those people, millions of people living very happy lives, don't give a rip what the people of, say, Seattle think the government ought to do and what the taxes ought to be. They just, they have no relationship with them other than they live inside the same artificially drawn, roughly rectangle. That's called the state of Washington. And that's a tough one to reconcile, man. Right. You're some 11 times pierced tattooed barista in, uh, in, in, in uh, Seattle exchanging your needles, you know, the rest of it. <laughs> oh, then you got some farmer out in eastern Washington who has 10,000 acres and, and, you know, the biggest town is 11,000 people. And the next one that big and not is, a single piercing is an hour and a half away. And the only piercings are in the ears of the women like normal people. <laughs> it's just very different. Yeah, it's interesting. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty show.